0: What would it be like if we had to just guess what God is like? I mean, that would be a pretty miserable thing. We take it for granted because we have Scripture. Uh, If you've come to church, whether it's even just a week or whether you've been coming your whole life, you have a a foundation for things that you know that this is what God is like that's going to be different than if we just had no clue and we just had to make it up on our own and with our own guesswork what God is like. I remember as a kid, uh, watching a, a TV show, I believe it was uh, Family Ties. And there was an episode where I think the, the boy in that, Alex, uh, he's having a deep conversation with someone, they ask him, do you believe that God exists? And he said, yeah, I do. And I thought, good, I was glad to hear this. You know, because I kind of liked his character, I'm glad he believed that God exists. And they said, but I don't think it's the type of God that, that we think of. And then he went on, it's been a long time since I've seen this, to say, I think God is more like like a, a dolphin, And he describes something, I'm like, okay, you're just making stuff up now. And think of how much that would be all of our situation if God hadn't spoken to us to reveal uh, to us what he is like. When we think of teaching about God, it is not us trying to look up to discover things about God. It is God starting here and revealing things, giving his truth down to us. And we just need to listen to it and to understand and if we do, then we are going to have a firm foundation that we can stand upon. Then we are going to have a firm basis for life. And I think this is what Peter is getting at in this section of Scripture. If you remember two weeks ago, there was a message that, that Pastor Nick did. And in that message, uh, it talked about being established in the truth. And that word for established means to be to set firm, to be grounded, that you're, you're anchored in the truth there. And this is a theme running all throughout Second Peter, that there's knowledge, but we also need, we're set firm if we have the right knowledge of God from God. And so in that message, a big key thing was to remember, to be reminded of what God has said to us, to remind each other of what God has said, not to invent new things, not to get you know creative about this, but to remember the, the standard things that have been true and are true and to repeat those to ourselves. And then last week, we saw a reason why we should do this. And Peter said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, I want you to be firm and grounded in God's truth, and one reason that you can be firm and grounded is because we are not making this up. This is not myths. This is not legends. These are not inspiring stories that you could draw some lessons from and maybe live your life by. He's saying, these are things, I, we saw these things. We're reporting what we saw. And he's saying, I even saw the, the transfiguration of Christ. That passage goes on and talks about that when Jesus was on earth And you couldn't tell by looking at him that he was, you know, the the radiant, awesome, majestic, the son of God that has been around forever and created the world because his glory was veiled. But at one point in the Gospels, it talks about how he took three of the apostles up on this mountain and kind of that the veil was lifted for them. And it showed, at least to a a big degree, his, his majesty. And it talks about him, you know, kind of shining. And there was a voice from heaven let me just read the passage from last week. So I hope you have your Bible open to Second uh, Peter. It says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So God is not a God that has remained silent. He is a God that has revealed himself to humanity. And we have eyewitnesses that have seen him, ear witnesses. He said he, he heard the voice that was confirming, this is my son. And just to emphasize that Jesus really is the son of God. And Peter was sure about that because of what he knew from the Old Testament, what God had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, and then what his eyes told him about this. But as we go on, we are going to see today that even more, we're going to see that the Bible is not merely a reliable testimony from human eyewitnesses. I mean, it is that. It is reliable testimony from human eyewitnesses, but there could be plenty of other things that are, you know, as well. There could be reliable eyewitnesses that are reporting about events that are going on in the Ukraine and and letting us know what's going on. You could have reliable eyewitnesses, and that's good. It's a good basis. If they weren't reliable eyewitnesses, probably shouldn't believe any of this. But the Bible is more than that. It is also inspired by God. We're going to see in this passage that all Scripture is from God, the Holy Spirit, who moved the human writers of Scripture and worked in and through them, superintending them, to record exactly what God intended to be written down. And therefore, we should pay attention to it, and we, we should pay attention to it like a light in a dark place, and we can stand firm when we stand on God's word. So let's read the section for today with that in mind, 19 through 21. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, We're going to talk about scripture this week. We're going to talk about it next week. Today we're going to just walk through this passage. And the first point I want to make is that scripture is absolutely certain. When we look at verse 19, uh, there's some questions as far as, you know, what exactly does this mean? How does this work? But at the core of it, it's letting us know that scripture, that God's word here, is is firm, it's stable, it is certain. When it's we read this, it says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That word that is translated, at least in the ESV, is confirmed. It can be translated different ways in, in other translations, but it can also have the idea of to be made firm, to be made stable, steadfast, sure, trustworthy. It's really about there's a, there's a certainty to it. And we think... How does this work? We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You know, does this mean that uh, there was the, the Old Testament prophecies about Christ and they were pretty, pretty solid because it's the Old Testament, it's the word of God, and that Peter, because he saw his experience with the transfiguration, that it gave um, even more certainty to this because it was validated by this experience and what he saw. And there could be kind of truth to that that it's uh, God's word and it's made even more firm and certain to us. We realize that it's more firm and certain. Or is it saying that the scripture itself is even more firm and certain than even these experiences? And I think there's truth to that that as well. But I think the focus for us is not on these experiences, not what Peter uh, saw, okay, because that's him. And we can't go back in time and, you know, see through his eyes uh, the only way that we can do that, to see through his eyes, is by taking what he has given to us and believing what is written down. It's through scripture that we are to able to recognize uh, what God has done and the testimony of these, well, eyewitnesses like Peter. So when it says here, uh, we have these words made more certain. Yes, Peter may have been given added confirmation uh, because of this, but, remember, but notice that it says this is something with, to which you will do well to pay attention to. So you think of Peter is writing to his original audience, and in a way he's writing to us too, because this is for all Christians at all time. And what we can pay attention to is this book what we can pay attention to is the scriptures. So I think ultimately, no matter how you interpret what this means, he's pointing us to the word of God. I think that's what he's talking about when he says the prophetic word. I don't think he's just talking about the Old Testament. Uh, he definitely is, but I think he's including the New Testament as well because we're going to see when we get to the end of Second uh, Peter, we're going to see that he puts even New Testament on the same level as Scripture. He recognizes that there is new Scripture as well, not just the what we call the Old Testament. Um, because if you're able to kind of flip over here to chapter 3, verse 15, notice it says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, remember this is Peter writing, but he's mentioning Paul, the apostle, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. Verse 16, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on this matter, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the, inest- which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, a key part of this for us now is, notice he says, as people do the other scriptures which means he's recognizing that the things that that Paul was writing, his letters, you know, Romans, the Corinthians letters, Ephesians, all this, that that was Scripture as well, too. So I think when he's talking in this section, he's telling us what Scripture is like. And Scripture is how we know the Lord. And so it is, to us, it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. We live in a world of darkness, we live in a world of moral darkness. We live in a world of lots of ignorance as well. And we would be stumbling in the dark, and we would just be guessing about everything if we did not have some light. And so we need to, to pay attention to Scripture. Pay attention to Scripture, or you are going to stumble in the darkness. It's the truth of it. And think of how many people in our world are, are, are groping along. They're stumbling in the darkness because they don't have the light that they need. And when you're in the darkness, things aren't going aren't to go well. I read an account of uh, a time in World War II where there were uh, six Allied fighters that took off from an aircraft carrier. And they were over in the ocean, there's nowhere else to land, uh, so they'd land back in the aircraft carrier. But the aircraft carrier, they, they found out there were enemy submarines. And so the uh, c- commander of the, uh, the, the captain gave the order that there was to be a blackout so sort they of turn off all the all the you know engines lights and everything so that the um so that the submarine couldn't come in and sink them and so these planes are flying around and they need to come in and land and so the, they are radioing in you know hey th- there's no runway lights you know it's in the middle of the night it's, it's dark you turn them on so we could land and they got a brief message back saying no we can't we're under blackout and so the planes were you know trying to circle for a while and eventually radioing back in and saying, uh, we are running low on gas, please turn the lights on. And the ship said, we can't do this. And they radioed again and said, please turn the lights on. And there was no reply. And eventually the six planes, as far as we know, just went down into the ocean because they didn't have light. They didn't know where to land. And we live in this world in darkness. If we have no light to guide us, if we have no light to tell us where to go, that's going to be our situation. And what a good thing it is when it's, everything's pitch black to have even some light, to be able to see what is going on in this dark world that we live in, rather than to be guessing with uh, what we believe God is like or what we believe pleases him. And we have been given light. I mean, that is the, the reality here. We, we don't pretend that God has left us in darkness. A lot of people sometimes say, well, I'm rejecting God because he just hasn't, he hasn't revealed himself. He hasn't Himself. He hasn't spoken. And we say, yeah, he has. He's spoken in a lot of ways. I mean, even just through creation, there's some general revelation of him. But he's spoken to us clearly in Scripture. He's spoken by his son. who came down and showed us what God is like. And we have eyewitness reports of this. But we have this this whole big book of, of revelation of light from him that we can look at. And so it becomes a different situation. It's one thing. Imagine that you are locked in a uh, a dark pitch black room, and you know there's somebody in there, but you don 't know who it is and you could guess you know who it is, maybe it 's somebody you know maybe it 's somebody you don 't uh, if they're you know not talking and revealing themselves to you, and maybe you could be forgiven a little bit if you had if you had no clue but if there 's some light on you know even if it 's just a, a small lamp you know you 're going to see who it is, and at that point, if you pretend that it 's somebody else. It's either because you don't recognize who it is. It's either because, well, you're blind or you're refusing to look. And I think so many people in the world today, it's not that God has not given us light. We have Scripture. Most people, every, people in America, have access to it. It's on. It's online. There's all of this. Our problem is either we're either we're spiritually blind which is the case when people don't have Christ. We're blind in our sin. We don't want to see, or we're not looking. We're purposely looking in the other direction. And that's what those without Christ as well are doing too in the rebellion. They don't want to see the God that's there. It's not that God hasn't revealed himself. It's that people want to ignore him so they'll look away even when there is light, even when there is knowledge that they could know. So we want to receive this knowledge. We want to be grateful for it and to realize it's there. And God has given us what we need for this age, for this era. I mean, this is a, this is a big book. There's a lot of truth in this. And it's going to take me, uh, I'd have to have a long life and a long run here to, to make it through preaching through all of this book. I'm going to try. We'll see. And I hope you're studying it on your own, because otherwise it's, uh, you're not going to get to all of it anytime real soon. But this is what God has intended for us for this age. There's not other truth that is out there that's, that's secret that we got to find. This is what is sufficient. This is what we are called and that, that we need. There might be a different error that comes eventually. When Christ returns, uh, it's going to go from having a little lantern to being flooded with light. And I think that's what it means when it says, you will do well to pay attention. Um, notice how understated that is. Like, uh, yeah, you've been given light by God. You would do well to pay attention to it. Uh, yes, you would. But it's, it's really important. As a light shining in a dark place. It says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Well, what does that mean? Well, think of this. You, it's, you're at night. Everything is dark out. But there's going to come a time when, when the sun comes up, when there's morning. And they're talking about the morning star, which is, is actually the planet Venus. And you would see that um, at morning, oftentimes, even just you know before the, the sun comes up. Uh, the reflecting the, the light of the the sun, the whole point of this is some imagery saying there will be a time when the night is over and when it 's morning when it's when it 's daybreak, and there will be a time when Christ returns when this whole world is is flooded with light, and so the light from the the lantern that we have now um, is still good, but it's there 's going to be so much we 're going to have so Full uh knowledge of this that's going to come when when Christ returns, and so there will be this period when the darkness is over, but right now what we have is is uh necessary and it's sufficient for this for this era let's go on to this next section.'ll we'll do our second half of the message We'll summarize it like this: Scripture was not authored. Merely by human beings, but by the Holy Spirit working through human beings. And I get this from verses 20 through 21. Read this again. Really critical verses here on Scripture and what it's like and to understand what Scripture really is. There's a lot of people that misunderstand it. Even people that teach at seminaries in different places that have real low views of Scripture. So we need to take seriously what is said here. Verse 20 knowing, first of all, so this is really important, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's unpack this. First of all, it is talking about the the origin of Scripture, So we think of Scripture, this is, again, it's not discovery, us trying to discover God. The origin of Scripture is not merely human. When it says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, it's not produced from the will of man. These aren't choices that we made that we can say, well, I I choose, I'm going to choose what I think God should be like. And I'm going to choose his characteristics, and I'm going to choose what I think would be good. And it comes from me, it comes from my will, it comes from my choices. That's not what Scripture is. But it talks here about interpretation, and this can be a little bit confusing uh, to try and understand this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. We talk about interpretation. Interpretation is something that we have to do. We have Scripture, and we have to interpret what it means. And really, that's what we do in Bible study. That's what a lot of what I'm doing in preaching is, is trying to say, okay, this is what I think the author meant when he wrote this and I'm trying to get it right and trying to communicate it to you, and that should be the message. So, I mean, that's a good type of interpretation. We also believe, uh, the Protestants believe in what's called um, the right of private interpretation. That doesn't mean that anything goes or that you can just make it up and that your view is as good as somebody else, but it means that you have the responsibility to, to look at God's word and to try and figure it out for yourself And that it's not just a, um, you know, the church that is the interpreter that can tell you what to do, okay? It's not like we have some kind of, you know, Baptist pope that can tell you, here's the, you know, what I know for sure is what this means. We study, we work at it, we do it, but everyone is called to look at God's word and to try and understand it because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe other teachers are wrong. Maybe Pastor Nick's wrong. Maybe your Sunday school teacher's wrong. I mean, don't blow them blow off just out of arrogance, okay? But at the same time, we need to try and understand what it says. But that's, I think, not what it's getting at here. When it says no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, I think maybe the best way to understand this is that Scripture is not merely humans trying to interpret what they think God is like and what he wants, that if God hadn't revealed Himself to us, and we were just making this up, we were just guessing in the dark, then it would be our interpretation. And if you think God is more like a dolphin, uh, then hey, great—that's that's your view, that's your interpretation. You follow your heart, you do what you think is best. This is saying no—it's it's not like that. We can't just make up what we think God is like and what we think should please Him. I mean, that's what false religions do that you know they have their man-made view of God in one way or another, and their man-made view of uh, what they think is going to please him. Think of this as far as like, what it, how to be saved. If it was just left to us, most human beings think that, uh, just naturally think, well, okay, God is going to uh, let the good people into heaven, and if there are some really, really bad people, they'll have to go to hell. But it's basically this scale and there's your good works and there's your bad works and God's just going to weigh them and whichever, if the good outweighs the bad, great, you get to go to heaven. If the bad outweighs the good, you got to go to hell. I mean, that would be a common way if it was just up to us thinking about it that we would think salvation is like that. But we read the scripture and we realize that's not what it says. Scripture says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That you know, any sin is, is so much in this scale weighing it down that Even a lifetime of good works, if we could do them, wouldn't outweigh that. And our good works aren't even that good because they're always tainted with bad motives. That you can't be saved by being good or by turning over a new leaf. Instead, Scripture teaches that we're saved by what Jesus Christ had to do. That God sent the Son into this world. He had to send God the Son to live the perfect life on our behalf as the God-man. And then to die on the cross as our substitute, as a substitute for sinners. See, that's not something we would have just come up with on our own. I mean, that is not a, a human invention. That is God telling us what it is like. So we have to go what he is. what he actually says, not just our interpretation of what we think it should be. Same with right and wrong. Think of how many things in this world today people are saying, you better believe this or... Uh, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. You better believe this or we're going to shut you down. We're going to cancel you. We're going to force you to be quiet or to lose your job. Um, But it's basically, they have nothing to ground this. It's just what, what they think should be right and wrong rather than what God has actually said and actually communicated to us. So just realize we don't live in a world in which God has been silent. God has not been silent. He has not remained hidden. He has shown himself I mean, that's part of what Peter was saying. I saw the glory of the, of the coming of Jesus Christ and he's going to be coming again. And I, I've seen this. And so if you think that God has remained silent, again, it's because you are refusing to listen to what God has revealed to us. So when it talks about interpretation, um, I think in this context, it's saying that scripture is not just us interpreting what we think God is like and what pleases him. But, on the other hand, it tells us what it's like. And it says that um, people wrote this as as they were carried along. And when it says this, notice it says, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That phrase, carried along, is really important. That phrase uh, is used in other places of the wind pushing a sailboat and moving it along, being carried along, being driven along. In fact, in Acts 27, 15 through 17, it uses this twice. It says, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And at the end of verse 17, it says, driven along again. So it's the ship kind of being, being carried along by the wind. So, by the by the pneuma, which is also the word for the Holy Spirit. So, we're the authors of Scripture were not carried along by a, uh, a literal wind, but they were carried along by the, the Holy Spirit that was pushing them along. In Greek, the word for wind is also the same word for spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that was working in them to write Scripture and to write it in the way that it was exactly the way that God wanted it written. So, I want to talk about two uh, kind of concepts here, and we're going to talk more next week about Scripture and about the attributes of Scripture. But to help us kind of think about this and have the right theological view of Scripture, uh, one thing I want to point out is what's called dual authorship. And this is, we can see this in this passage, that that Scripture is the result of dual authorship. So there were human beings, there were men that, that wrote Scripture, and we're not taking away from that. But we also see that it was the Holy Spirit. It was God that wrote Scripture. So, if you were to ask the question, who is the author of Scripture? Who's the author of the Bible? Of, let's say, Second um, Peter, you could say it was Peter and believe it was. You could also say it was, it was God. It was God the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. It's both of these. And it's not that, as if it is kind of a 50 50 thing. Every other word, you know, they trade it off. It's not like that. Uh, It's not, um, it's done in a way that it is 100% the, yeah, the word of human beings. uh, But it's also 100% the word of God. Because it's God working in and through uh, the human authors so that they would write this in the right way. So as I've defined it here, the scriptures are fully divine and fully human because they were written by men carried along by God the Holy Spirit Using the authors' personalities and styles. So let me explain that. When we think of this as uh, scripture being written, you know, there's some cults that have they've claimed that there's you know different writings that have happened, and they'll claim it happens like this: that the author kind of goes into a trance, you know, and just starts kind of writing, and uh, you know whatever they think is you know speaking through this you know prophet is you know kind of taking over and writing different things. They call it automatic writing. I think of it as kind of like zombie writing. You know, God takes, you know, if you viewed it this way, you know, whatever spirit or whatever takes over and they produce something. And usually when that happens, it ends up being something very cult-like and very, very wrong. Sometimes it claims to be Christian, but it's not. But that's not how it was with the biblical authors. That they still wrote using their own personalities, their own writing styles, even their own vocabularies. And so if you're reading scripture, you can tell a difference between something that, yeah, this seems like Paul, this seems like Peter, this seems like John. There's different personality, Luke, the Old Testament authors as well, too. Because God, he didn't just, you know, take over them where, you know, their eyes go blank and they start, you know, zombie writing. Uh, Instead, you know, Peter is, for this, he's probably, he's sitting down or, uh, you know, getting to work. Maybe he had a helper with him. And, but he's thinking through, okay, what do I want to say? He's crafting this in his mind, and some process goes through, and they produce this letter. But it was Peter thinking about it, and him deciding you know, what he wanted to write. But behind the scenes, God is working through him, uh kind of superintending everything, uh, this is both as you know, editor and also you know, prompting him to write what he should write. But he doesn't take away Peter's personality and his writing style, Uh, but he works through him to make sure that everything that is written is what God wanted written as well. So if you said, is Scripture the the words of man or is it the words of God? Technically, it's both. That it is, um, you know, the human authors, yep. Now, there's some places where God, you know, dictated uh, when he spoke through the prophets and he gave a message, thus saith the Lord. Uh, It's a little more like kind of dictation and they would write it down or when he writes the Ten Commandments with his own finger on on stone. Uh, But most of it is God working through these authors, but it's still the Word of God. So this is what we mean when we talk about dual authorship. You know, a a good um, example of this is actually Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you. Is Jesus Christ, was he 50% God and 50% human? I would say, no. Uh, Jesus Christ, after he came in the incarnation, was both 100% God and 100% human. And in the same way, the scriptures are a human work, but they're also 100% divine, 100% God working through all of this. And you say, well, to be human is to err. Well, that's not something the Bible says. And Jesus didn't sin, he didn't err. The divine side kept that from happening. And the same thing with scripture because of the work of the holy spirit superintending this we have a perfect book that's exactly what we need for this era and is without any type of error at all so dual authorship a second phrase it's not in this passage but it's a helpful one that you may read if you're reading books on theology is verbal plenary inspiration okay it sounds like a lot sounds like a mouthful but we'll break that down as far as what it means. You think of plenary? I don't know, if you uh, go to a conference and they have a plenary session, that's the one where everyone goes to. So it means all of this. So we believe in what would be called verbal plenary inspiration. So the uh, plenary part means that all of the words of Scripture, okay, not just some, it's not just that uh, okay, we like the New Testament, but we really don't like the Old Testament. You know, let's detach that. Let's jettison that. We're kind of embarrassed by part of it. You know, let's just stick with it. The, the New Testament, that seems real nice. No, it would the whole thing. But there's some people that, you know, will cut and paste different parts. Thomas Jefferson, you know, actually took a Bible and, like, cut out the miraculous parts of Jesus' work and just kept the moral teachings. You know, that's not what we believe you should do. It's the whole thing. All of it is inspired. Both the history, both the, both the teachings in it. It's not just the, the red letters. If you have a Bible that's a red letter Bible, you know, there's some people who think, well, I, I like the red letters, the stuff that Jesus said. Well, I bet some of those people actually don't like everything Jesus said. Uh, but they're saying that so they can ignore the other stuff. And you know what? When it was written, you know, the Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they did not switch and take out a red pen when they were writing Jesus's statements. You know, it was all the the same when they originally wrote it. That's something that's uh, a modern innovation. And it can be fine, but also it can make it seem like, well, the red letters, those are even more inspired. Nope. Everything is inspired uh, to the same level because that's how this works. So, it's not just the New Testament, the Red Letters. It's not just the parts that you agree with, that you like. It's the whole thing, but also it's the the words of Scripture. That's the one which says in this phrase "verbal." What they mean by that is all the all the words of Scripture, because you could think, well, maybe what happened is that uh, God gave the apostles and the prophets. He gave them some like visions. You know, He taught them some things, and then just kind of uh, left it on their own to you know, just put it into to their words what they wanted to do, how they wanted to describe it. And maybe they would basically get it right. Maybe they they wouldn't. Uh, now, we believe that, okay, Luke and all the writers, you know, they had to think and they had to uh, put it into words, but that God worked through them so that the actual words that they wrote specifically were the words that God wanted written down. Not that he just left them up to, to do their best to try and describe You know, that God had given them revelation uh, and God had given, you know, them God's word, but then after that it was just up to them to just try and describe it the best they could. Uh, But maybe the ideas are in there, but not the actual words. No, we believe that the actual words of Scripture are God-breathed. That it's actually, um, it's not just that he gave thoughts and ideas that the writers tried their best to write down. And then inspiration, that the, the writers were uh, carried along. That's what it says in uh, Second Peter here. We talk about inspiration, though. Sometimes we talk about, like, the, the writers of Scripture being inspired. Well, first of all, when we think of that, don't think of it in the same way that, okay, Shakespeare was inspired, or some great artist, or you had a, a great inspiration when you woke up this morning about what you should do this week. And we talk like that, but that's not what we mean. It's actually the same. The word inspired uh, comes from in 2 Timothy 3.16, and it literally means God breathed. It's like God breathing it out of his mouth. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed. Some older translations say inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So actually, it's the authors of Scripture that are born along, but it's actually the text of Scripture that is actually God-breathed. That it's the actual words. So it's not just this inspired writer that writes some things. He's moved along, but it's actually the words of Scripture are what are inspired or God-breathed. And that's what we have. So next week, we're going to talk about five attributes of Scripture, Uh, It's going to be necessity, authority, inerrancy, perspicuity, and sufficiency. We'll explain all of that. But for today, we think of this, having a firm foundation. I want you to believe with certainty that God is speaking to you through the Bible. God is speaking to you through this book. You don't need to look in some other place. And don't ignore this you would do well to pay attention to this. And when I say that God speaks to you through the Bible, it's not just that the Bible contains God's word here and there, but the Bible, all of the Bible is God's word. And so when Scripture speaks, God speaks. It literally is the word of God. It literally is his words. It's to us. Think of this. Which do you think would be better? Hearing a voice from heaven like Peter did or hearing God's word, God's voice in writing. You might think, well, I'd love to hear that voice from heaven. That would be the, the greater thing. And some people might think, well, if God would just you know speak to me from heaven, then I would believe, you know, okay, you got the, the Bible here, but, I mean, I would like God to speak to me from heaven. Then then I, I consider this. Back in the 19th century, uh, a preacher in London named Charles Spurgeon wrote something in reply to those that said they would come to Christ if he, if he called from the sky, but not if he called them from his written word. This is kind of a longer quote. Let me read this. If I heard a voice speaking from the sky, I would obey it, but the form in which your call has come has been better than that. For Peter, in his second epistle, tells us that he himself heard a voice out of the excellent glory when he was with our Lord on the holy mountain. But he adds, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, as if the testimony which is in the word of God, the light that shineth in a dark place, which beams forth from the word of God, was more sure than even the voice which he heard from heaven. Do not say that you would accept that call If it were spoken with a voice rather than written, you know that this is not so in daily life. If a man receives a written letter from his father or a friend, does he attach less importance to it than he would have done to his spoken communication? I reckon that many of you in business are quite content to get written orders for goods, and when you get them, you do not require a purchaser to ask you in person you would just assume that he would not. In fact, you commonly say that you would like to have it in black and white. Is it not so? Well, then you have your wish. Here is the call in black and white. And I do but speak according to common sense when I say that if the Lord's call to you be written in the Bible, and it certainly is, you do not speak the truth when you say, I would listen to it if it were spoken, but I cannot listen to it because it is written. If your hearts were right before God, that word spoken in the scriptures by the Holy Ghost would be at once obeyed. That's true. We have something that's even better from just a word spoken in heaven. Something that might be just a little, little bit. We have the full counsel of the word of God. And we have something that's written in black and white that you can look, you know, study with someone else to double check. Am I misunderstanding this? If it's just something that you even heard from the sky, you could say, well, I I don't remember it. Did I hear it right? We have it recorded. We have it written down for us. What a blessing this is. What a good thing, and it's everything that we need for this age. If you had to pick between seeing the transfiguration or having scripture, which would you pick? You had to pick one or the other. If that were the case you might think, well, I'd love to see Jesus glorified and all this. But if you had to pick one and you didn't have the other at all, you should pick scriptures. Because this is what God has given to us for this era. This is his full counsel. It is everything that is necessary and sufficient for us. And the scriptures are more certain than any experience that we would have. And this is what God actually intends for us in this age. If God wanted to, he could give visions from the sky you know, every morning. You know, tune in and look up at, at you know, 8.30 and you'll get your, your new little Bible verse, your different message. But he's given all of us, all of this. We I can spend a lifetime looking at and, and listening to and hearing God's full counsel. Now when we get into chapter 2 of Peter, we're going to see that the false po- prophets, the false teachers, they were different than this. They were making things up. Okay, they were untethered to God's word, and they would twist God's word from the meanings that the author intended. But what we have is firm and is stable. It's made more certain. So if you want to be firm and stable, then stand on that which is firm and stable. And we have the prophetic word made more sure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. And one of the graces and goodness that you've given to us is that you have revealed yourself. You have spoken to us. Thank you that you have uh, communicated to us in your word. You have given us news, good news, the gospel of how we can be saved through Jesus Christ. And I pray anyone that has been here that maybe has just been going by their own interpretations of what they think God is like, that they would instead look to your light, look to what scripture has told us, You are an awesome and a loving God and you are a holy God as well and we have not measured up and on our own we deserve condemnation. But Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died on the cross in our place and it's by turning to him and trusting in Jesus Christ that salvation can be had, that we can escape hell, that we can have an eternity of hope with you forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I pray that everyone that is listening to this would understand and that they would believe unto salvation. And for all of us, let us be planted on the word of God. Let us realize that it is certain, it is firm, it is secure. Let us be anchored in it, so that we may be established in the truth, your truth. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.